I think if you're just starting to listen within, then an artist residency and motherhood can be a quiet space to let those ideas come to the surface and then to have uninterrupted time to pursue those ideas. I'm Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. Every other week, I talk with artists who are also mothers and caregivers about their postpartum creative process. You can find out more about the podcast at www.postpartumproduction.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. So... As maybe you can tell, my voice sounds a little bit nasally today. Is that a word? Nasally? Is that an adjective? I have been battling an ongoing sinus infection, I believe. But as I'm sure all of you out there with children have been feeling this fall, it's just endless sickness. So we definitely had a wave of RSV in our house. And just when the kids had gotten better, and I was just barely at the edge of the sinus infection, it seems like we've gotten a new cold. And I realized in this podcast and in doing this work that there's always a space for really beautiful, really clean audio, which I think is really important in podcasting. And at the same time, we can't wait for the perfect moment, as you know, as caregivers and artists. And so I am recording today with a bit of a nasally sound to my voice. So I hope that you will at least give me a little grace with that. (laughs) I'm trying to give myself grace with it. So this is a really exciting episode for me. It is different from any episode we've done in the past. And I wanted to give you a little bit of a background as to where this episode came from and why we're presenting it to you in this format. A wonderful resource that's come up on the podcast is the Artist Residency in Motherhood organization that artist and mother Lenka Clayton started in 2012. I didn't know much about the organization until last year when a fellow writer and mother, Amanda Monte, mentioned it in a class of hers I was taking on writing and as the mother, and then alerted the class of a Facebook group that was spawned out of this residency. I joined the group and was linked up with a Bay Area group of caregiver artists whose work runs in and around topics of motherhood and art in the modern era. This group includes Amanda Monti herself, who's a writer and professor, whose substack Mad Moms is definitely required reading and whose new book is due out next spring. Cindy D. Tiberio is formerly a prolific ghostwriter who is now a publisher at Literary Mama and has a cutting and really insightful substack called The Motherload. The group also includes Patty Matash, whose artistic projects like Bill the Patriarchy are groundbreaking art meets activism, and Minna Dubin, whose writing on Mom Rage in the New York Times found widespread readership and became the basis for her memoir of the same title, also out next year. For more on each of the women, please check out the show notes where we'll include more detailed bios. We had the great privilege of meeting together last spring for a group residency and gathered again this fall leaving our children under the care of partners and or caregivers so we could work unfettered and in community. To be honest, what I noticed most was that my day wasn't bookended by drop-offs and pickups, that the time and space for writing was less compressed and harried. I ended up rewriting the opening of my new novel. New is kind of funny because I've been working on it for (laughs) maybe seven years now, but you know, new-ish. And I also decided that I may need to get off Scrivener entirely. 
I wanted to attempt to capture in this episode some of the zeitgeist of the weekend. So I set up a sound booth in one of the bedrooms so each participant could weigh in on their experiences and thoughts of the collective residency in real time. The result is this episode, which feels like a dreamscape of the artist mother mind of what residencies afford those of us privileged enough to build the time and space into our lives to devote ourselves solely to our artistic and creative pursuits. As we don't introduce each speaker by name in this episode, you'll not necessarily parse out whose voice is speaking when, but I hope you will enjoy the fragmented format of this episode. And if not, I apologize in advance for this experiment. Please let us know your thoughts on this. For example, how do you think of the concept of an artist residency in motherhood? What form of artistic residency do you feel that you really need right now? We're working here at Postpartum Production to build more opportunities like this for artist caregivers. So your feedback is especially welcome. Send us a note at hello at postpartumproduction.com or comment on our episode posts on Instagram. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy this episode. What is an artist residency in motherhood? I think an artist residency in motherhood is a chance to take the body and the mind back, to reconnect with the creative self, to reconnect with others, to find again what was stolen in the entrance into motherhood. What is an artist residency in motherhood? I think Linka Clayton is the best one to answer this question. (laughs) But I think the idea is that You are looking at your motherhood as a place where your art can be made as opposed to separate, that like the art and the motherhood can be combined in some sort of way. For me, it helped me to look at my writing as something I could do during motherhood. It felt really useful to me when I started getting back into writing after like the first two years of the motherhood fog that I was in. I really needed that kind of structure to help me think about writing into and through motherhood. So it's a retreat of sorts to get out from under the weight of responsibility. I'm getting better at getting right into the pocket of things, but sometimes I used to feel like there was like a detox that needed to happen between my caretaking self and then my writing self. Like it was hard to shed all the thoughts of my children and how they might be reacting. And, oh, did they remember? If you're just starting to listen within, then an artist residency and motherhood can be a quiet space to let those ideas come to the surface and then to have uninterrupted time to pursue those ideas. What brings you here? The necessity of escaping the day-to-day to create to make things, to have time to think and contemplate and just be. I think writing and friendship and camaraderie and women. I feel like Amanda and Patty were these people I met really through the internet. And then Amanda brought in Caitlin and Cindy. And then, yeah, it's like this beautiful little crew of mom writers. The special little group that all can talk about motherhood in this way that feels like a relief that I don't get to talk about in my everyday life because I don't really have that many people who understand it in the same way that this group does. I'm really glad it's happened just to hold space together with our creative pursuits and 
the struggles between being a mother and wanting to create and put meaningful content out into the world, it's really nice to be around other people who are doing that same kind of work. How do you define work slash your work? I think I define work very differently from my work. I would say that work is what we do to make a living wage. But when I think of my work, my creative practice, I think of that as a way of communing with others, with people who are with us, who are gone, generations that came before us, generations that will follow. I feel like I have two jobs and one of them is writing and one of them is mothering. And I feel like I'm doing them both all of the time, that they're both labors that I never really put down because so much of my writing is memoir. And I'm always sort of thinking about my writing. And I think even when a writer is not actually writing, like part of the job of being a writer is daydreaming and noticing and thinking. And so I'm always doing both of my jobs all the time, which I both don't like and really love that my jobs aren't separate from my life, that everything is integrated. It's, it's both hard and really lovely. How do you define work slash your work? My work is domestic work, home making, home economics. It's carrying the babies and thinking of the babies. It's cooking and cleaning. It's taking care of my family and my community. That's my unpaid work, my care work, my artwork and my writing is my gift. It's the work that I give to the world that is the reason that I'm here. And I like to share about my experiences as a mother and as a woman in ways that I haven't heard them. And my artwork is a record of the time I spend taking care of people. And it's a visual representation of that time and an attempt to express all of the unexpressible little feelings and moments of joy and monotony in motherhood. I feel like my work is to interrogate the different roles we take on as women. Some are kind of thrust upon us, others we choose, but trying to examine how we took them on, if they serve us, how they hold us back, how we might be able to redefine them into something that makes space for who we truly are. For my book, I'm really looking at how I hid behind a lot of roles, how I lost myself in my roles, how I erased myself in my roles. So it's more kind of a reclaiming of identity and self and soul after having been hidden away for a number of years. What is postpartum? 
an endless adjustment to the world of parenting? Postpartum is that season after giving birth where you are slowly trying to come back to yourself. But in some ways, I almost feel like postpartum is this in-between state. You're not pregnant anymore, so you're not carrying that baby around with you, but you are still carrying that baby around with you. And postpartum is feeling like there isn't any space for you. You're all in service to this baby who really needs your every waking moment. So postpartum is transition. Postpartum is loss. Postpartum is mourning. Postpartum is hopefully just a season and then you get to reclaim your life again. What is productivity? A false imperative to make shit that already exists as distinct from creativity, which is making new things. Productivity to me is an addiction. I think I use productivity not just to feel valuable, but to avoid my internal landscape. And so I've been really trying to make more time for stillness and rest, not trying to check so many things off the long list in one day because I really miss the present moment, trying to feel that I am enough even if I don't accomplish something every day. That's the current state that I'm in. What privileges led you here? I don't know what privileges led me to motherhood. I would say because of my white privilege, I felt that I could do motherhood right or better or correct somehow. What did you carry with you? I carried into motherhood all sorts of assumptions about my body, about what I owed men, about what I owed the world, about how little of my body was my own. What did you leave behind? I think for a long time in motherhood, I left myself behind. I left behind my partner and my two kids who are nine and five. I left behind all of the emotional labor of motherhood. I left behind almost all of it. I left behind most of the to-do list. I still had to email my partner today and be like, oh, should I move the dentist appointments for next Saturday? Because this and that, you know, (laughs) I didn't totally get to leave everything behind, but almost everything relating to my mom work. So that was good. What did you carry with you? My computer. (laughs) My continuing project of writing this book about mom rage. I brought that with me and I got my edits when I got here. And I feel really grateful actually to be in this group while I have it while I'm dealing with just emotional process of getting 200 pages of my writing edited. It's kind of an emotional, intense thing to like get that feedback of like, change this, change this, good, change this, change that, beautiful, change this. (laughs) Yeah, I don't feel like I carried much else with me, actually. Maybe some spinach soup from my house and maybe um, some salad that I made. I brought some food to contribute. What privileges led you here? I mean, the fact that my partner is the sole breadwinner and that he makes enough money 
so that I get to write. It shouldn't be a privilege, but it is a privilege that I have a partner who is so dedicated to being a father and such an engaged partner who does 50%, if not more, of the actual childcare that I can go away. It's not unusual, actually, for me to be like, I have a thing I want to go to for three days. It's not easy. (laughs) But yeah, it really does feel like a privilege to be able to do that. And I think a lot of mothers would like balk at that. Also, just generational wealth that led us to the place that made us able to afford college and like have less debt from our schools and be able to pay the debt back and live in the Bay Area. We don't own a house, but we can live there and it's not connected to generational wealth. And I'm sure white privilege as well. What did you leave behind? Well, I have a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old and a two-year-old beagle who (laughs) never like it when I leave. But I think for me, as I've taken more steps in this writing journey, it's really important for me to have my girls see me pursuing this being something other than just their mother. My older daughter was one of the first people to say to me when one of my ghostwriting books arrived in the mail and I was very proud of it and I showed it to her, but my name is not on it because that's what a ghostwriter does. And she said, well, mom, when are you going to write a book that your name is on. And so I'm now doing that. And so they know that these books do not come out of thin air. They take time and hard work and dedication. So even though they are not happy that I'm not with them, I know it's important to show them that I'm doing something else that is a dream of mine and a dream they have for me too. What did you carry with you? I'm not quite sure how to answer this one. What did I carry with me here? A lot of books, (laughs) probably more books than I would ever have time to read. And I haven't done a lot of reading, but I like to make sure I have things to reference. And books are kind of companions for me anyway. I brought my computer. I brought journals, pens. Good pen is always important. And journaling is different. That's like my personal thoughts. I always do my outlining and planning for articles or chapters of books or book structure on legal pads. So I brought probably two to three legal pads as well. What privileges led you here? The fact that I could take a class online with Amanda and be connected in that way. The fact that I have a partner who is willing to do his share of minding the children while I'm gone. The fact that I have a car that I filled up with very expensive gas to drive me here. The fact that for this time during the pandemic, I stopped taking on paid work because it was so difficult to do so while having two very young children home all the time doing remote school. And I haven't actually picked paid work back up since then. So that is a vast privilege so that I can pursue writing this book because I knew what I did for paid work was ghostwriting. And I've learned that it's really hard to write my own book while someone else's book is marinating in my body, which is what I do for other writers. So the privilege of just being able to not earn money to be able to write this book that I hope will make me money someday But in the current setup, it is not. So that's a vast privilege that I have. 
Do you forget the babysitter? One night at a party at Allen Ginsberg's, Diane DePrima said she was leaving because her babysitter expected her. From the floor, a stone, sprawl, Jack Kerouac proclaimed, DePrima, unless you forget about your babysitter, you're never going to be a writer. Do you forget the babysitter? Do you forget the babysitter? Oh my God, that's so good. No, I never forget the babysitter. In fact, before I left, my partner said to me, things are starting to feel a little uneven, which, you know, is valid. It has been hard as I've been working on this book and I have been taking so much time away for writing residencies and I get the edits back for the one round of editing and I go into a total cave and he helps me to do that by taking care of the kids. Anyway, next Friday is Veterans Day and there's no school. And he said to me, we're going to split Veterans Day, right? Before I left. And I said, oh, because I'm about to get my edits back and I don't know what they're going to look like. And then that's when he said, things are starting to feel a bit uneven, aka we better split it. So while I was here, I just messaged a friend of mine whose kids sometimes babysit my kids and reached out and was like, can your kids babysit on Veterans Day? And I'm immediately like, I have to get someone to babysit. But yes, I never forget the babysitter. I'm definitely the one who has the contacts of any babysitter we've ever had, except for my in-laws. You know, make sure we have money for the babysitter. Like, I never forget the babysitter. That feels like that emotional, invisible labor. I love this question. I think only a man would say that. I don't think I ever fully forget the babysitter. But when I leave my children, I do allow myself to separate from them and be something other than mother. Do you forget the babysitter? I wish I could forget the babysitter. I cannot forget the babysitter. I do not forget the babysitter. Children will not take precedence over my writing, but my book is just as much a baby as they are. I have to tend to this book and it needs to be birthed just the way they did. And I will love this book, probably in a similar way that I love them as it came from my being. (laughs) So I don't think the answer is to forget the babysitter. That makes it feel like you have to be single and without children in order to be a writer. And I think we all know that's not true. But you do need to be able to disappoint your children like I'm doing right now by not being with them. They would like me to be with them. They always meant me with them. And in some small way, that feels amazing. But in order to carve out pieces of my life that are not me just being a mom, I have to say, nope, not going to be there right now. I don't forget them. It's not like they don't exist. They're still very much a part of my consciousness, probably even as I'm writing. I mean, thank God for that babysitter. Thank God for babysitters that we can for a time know that they will be attended to the way they need to be tended to and it doesn't have to always be us. Thank you for listening to this somewhat unconventional episode. We hope that the insights provided here and the ability to sit with a number of other caregiver artists in their residency process has struck a chord for you. Again, We'd love to hear from you what it means to you to be in residency in motherhood and how you find ways to carve out appropriate time and space to devote to your work and what that looks like. Do you feel like you need to be outside of the home? Do you feel like you need to be a certain 
a number of hours drive away, do you feel like you need the babysitter? And if so, what does that look like? And how do you plan for that? And how do you afford that? And what sort of burden does that bring? And maybe that's not the word I should be using, but I do think that is evidenced in the responses. There is this inevitable burden of the emotional labor of thinking of the babysitter and whether or not we're able to not think of the babysitter or what that means. So I'd love to hear from you and where you've been able to make space and time for a residency and what is a residency to you. What isn't out there in the world that you would love to see? Because like I said, we are looking to build new platforms for artists, caregivers to have space and time for residency. And we'd love to hear from you. What would that look like? What would it provide? That can be logistical in terms of literal space and time, how much time one would need. It could be more philosophical in terms of what would be supportive. Do you prefer to work alone or do you prefer to be in some form of residency community and why? So please share that with us and we hope that we can continue to build a platform that can provide that for those of us that are working in creative spaces and really don't have that kind of support structure currently set up in the Western capitalist world. Thanks so much for listening and we hope that you also are healthy and well. I'm your host, Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. This will help us reach more listeners like you who are navigating the joys and pitfalls of artistic and parenting identities. For regular updates, visit our website, postpartumproduction.com, follow us on Instagram at Postpartum Production Podcast, and subscribe to our podcast newsletter on Substack. Thank you for listening, and we are so grateful to have you with us on this journey. Postpartum may feel like forever, and sometimes it may feel very lonely, but you're not alone here.